Hello, Podicumans, and welcome to the Podicesis Podcast, a podcast about what Christians believe and why it matters. I'm Brett Maddox, and once again, we're joined by your very best friends and, and this week's Wordle Champions. That's right, Wordle Champions. They tied for it. Alan Kaysen and Jim Morrow. Give them a round of applause, everybody. <laughs> uh, there, that's uh, probably well. sounds like we're in a tornado. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's good to be with you guys today. Oh, I'm so excited! Uh, I haven't lost a wordle all week. So that's that's some that's pretty strong. And actually, I would have to say a uh, couple of really strong showings this week too on on wordle. So um, yes, there's there's uh, there's rumors that um, Alan may be going professional, at least maybe semi-professional. Um, he's well, just looking listen, for let sponsors. Me t- let me tell you. Let me tell you what what, I, what Alan's doing, and we want to pray for him, folks. Is um, he is inspired by the fact that these uh, multiplayer online role playing games are on ESPN. <laughs> And he is really bringing forward <laughs> sponsorships and petitioning ESPN yes. to have live Wordle competitions. There you go. Well, uh, Webster's is already on board along with Wikipedia. So thank you very much. Uh, those <laughs> yeah. two sponsors, Double uh, W. Thank you very much. Yes, what is the? I can't remember the name of it. What is the 20-sided die called in Dungeons & Dragons? It's- A D20. A D twenty, I was anyway. So I, I had a, a ESPN D twenty wow. is what I was I'm going. Really, with. I mean, D20, the, the listeners, I've, you know, for our first time listeners, I'm really sorry <laughs> that uh, you just got exposed to uh, Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> and a D twenty dice. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, um, that is unfortunate. I, I think it's actually pretty fortunate. They get to see who we really, really yes, are. This yes. is who we are. Yes. Um, or I don't know it. if I'd go so far to like attach that to my identity, bro. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, okay. Here we go. Uh, let's see. Uh, Potty Cumans, remember to hit us up on social media. Leave a five star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Hey, let me say a great big shout out. Thank you to our listeners. We have hit over fifty. Uh, five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts, which means that at some point in the future, I think we're at 51, actually, at some point in the very near future, Alan Kaysen's going to share with us what it was like to be a a PK, a preacher's kid, and maybe some funny stuff that he did. (laughs) This is what you guys have been waiting for. Yeah, Uh, I I mean... All 51 stars have been gearing up to this. <laughs> this right here, this uh, one thing. Um, and uh, so in the near future, in a future episode, you'll be hearing some things. And um, Alan's been saying that he's having kind of hard trouble pinpointing which story. So maybe what we need to do, Jim, is uh, we need to take like five or ten minutes in an episode and interview Alan. Because of the three of us, Alan's the only one that's been in the church from, from the cradle, um, from before the cradle. Uh, and so Jim and I came in a little bit later in our lives. So, uh, I'm sure, uh, you know, what it's like growing up a PK and all that kind of stuff. There's some funny stuff there. I'm sure we can, I think we the interview is the only way we can make him really get down to be vulnerable and honest with this <laughs> I agree. And, I agree. and say, and say things that he doesn't want to say. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, sounds like so much fun. <laughs> I'm glad uh, you're part of the team, Alan. Um, before we get into this week's episode, uh, we do want to say that, um, man, we had a great time at the Spirit and Truth Conference, um, uh, which was, I guess now, what, about 10 days ago or so, or two weeks ago? I mean, it, how time has flown. 
Um, and um, uh, we had a great time. The Lord moved. Uh, we got some video clips from some of the talks and uh, the presenters at this event, and we're going to want to share some um, of our input from that uh, time as well. And so in the future, we'll have a special episode that just kind of sums up some of our favorite parts of that uh, Spirit and Truth conference in Dayton, Ohio. Um, and it was an amazing event. And um, I have to say, and we'll talk more about this later, um, I didn't know what to expect going in. Yeah. Um, and God moved in some unexpected ways. And so yes. we're, we're, we're um, really grateful grateful for that, grateful for the Spirit and Truth team, and um, as a reminder, we're part of the Spirit and Truth podcasting network, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later, but uh, we're just so, um, we're so grateful for that team and, and being open to God's move and allowing us to be yeah. part of that. So. And I just encourage y'all real quick, we do need to get into the episode, but um, I, it would you, anybody who's listening, I really do feel like you will be blessed, body, mind, spirit, all together. Uh, so next year, it'll be in Dayton again on March 9th through 11th. You can actually sign up now, uh, spiritandtruth.life. Uh, we're going to be there. So just we'd love to see you. But we'll talk more about that through the year. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Are you guys ready to get started with this week's uh, this week's catechism? Bring it. Bring it. All right. Uh, this week, the topic is on Wordle. No, not Wordle. No. The Wordle. <laughs> the Wordle of God. We can't help it. We're like we're like bad we're like bad youth pastors online. Yes, it's true. It's uh, well, true. What would we say? Do you, like, of... do you like Wordle? I know whose Wordle changed your life. Oh. Um, wow. Yes. Uh, the Wordle of God for the purple of god <laughs> you're welcome everybody you're uh, all week day all week long anyway so uh, actually we're talking about the word the word of god now this is part of wesley's uh, revision of the shorter catechism and it's part of this idea of the means of grace uh, that we have been talking about the kind of an overarching theme of the means of grace um how god uh, communicates to us, um, and one of the ways that he does that is uh, through the Word, the Word of God. And so we are going to look at um, the Word today. And uh, here's question: there's two questions to this, and here's question number one. Um, how is the Word made effectual to salvation? The Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching— of the word an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. Okay. Good deal. Good deal. I love as a preacher, by the way, how preaching is kind of pulled out a little bit there, um, highlighted there. We'll come back to that. And then uh, question number two is um, how is the word to be read and heard that it may become effectual for salvation. Uh, that the word may be effectual to salvation, we must attend to it with diligence, preparation, and prayer. Receive it with faith and love, lay it up in our hearts, and practice it in our lives. Mm-hmm. So we're going to look at some scripture here, uh, some scripture proofs. There's a, quite a few scripture proofs for both these questions, um, but we've pulled out six that we want to we want to share with you guys. And so um, let's start with Jim Morrow um, with this and with these scriptures. Yeah, we'll take a look first at a verse from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. 
and it reads, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing, even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Oh, it's beautiful to recall. Um, I love that first sentence, alive and active, mm-hmm. alive and active. There's a conviction that I try to share frequently, because have y'all ever read the Bible and don't understand a word that it says? Oh, absolutely. Never. Okay. <laughs> have you ever read the Bible and you know it should mean something, it's just not striking you that day? Yep, yep, yes. Have you ever found that it still somehow has even even a mild effect on you later in the day or days later that you have spent time reading that day? Yep. That's because the word is alive and active. Like words on a page are one thing, but the whole the Holy Spirit is at work in us whenever we have our mm. eyes on the page and our hearts on the page yeah. or our ears on the word. And so I love that. And and I love that when it talks about, and I won't go too long here, but it talks about being sharp and penetrating and talks about the dividing soul and spirit and joints and marrow. What I like is that um, the word is a means of grace, reading scripture is a means of grace that God can really get into uh, the deepest and even smallest parts of our heart to help us grow in our spirit, to even separate in the smallest parts of our soul uh, from any lostness, brokenness, or need for him and lead it lead us to union with him, even in the smallest parts. And I love how it also talks about idea. Like you can think about like ideas, mm-hmm. you know, how our ideas and mind, our mind workings can get, you know, kind of tangled up with lots of different stuff. The word can get in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. And I love that. You know, in context here in this uh, Hebrews chapter four, it's talking about entering into God's rest. Uh, Hebrews 4, 1, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, let us, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. And he goes on to talk about like obedience to God and um, not giving up for um, um He lifts up Joshua from the Old Testament in here, and in the verse just before the one that Jim read says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active. Um, yeah, yeah, interesting. I do want to touch. There's a word that carries some freight with people. It says it judges mm. the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Yeah, um, and some people feel like that is like a judgmentalism all the time. The word of God will bring judgment where judgment is needed. Yes, uh, it'll also bring distinction, which is another way of saying judgment too. So sometimes we need the judgment of our hearts over how things are going so that we can seek God for change, yeah. forgiveness, and redemption. Sometimes it means that it will help, it'll bring distinction in the way we think and our attitudes. Uh, and sometimes it'll help us to make clarity so that we can make other choices. So it's not simply that the word of God, you read it so that you can feel horrible about yourself. That's not, please don't carry that, all of that word freight into that word. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. All right. So let me touch base real quick. James 1, verse 25. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues into it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, will be blessed in what they do. Um, and so here we talk about how the response that we have that the catechism brings out. 
like there's an intentionality and an intentness of paying attention to this the perfect word of god and the perfect law as james puts it that brings freedom um also james talks about how um by not forgetting what they have heard that we make it a part of our own and we also do it and act it out so uh that's part of the catechism as well is is we're not just reading but we're also trying to interpret there's one thing i would bring to our attention it's a beautiful book by eugene peterson called eat this book eat this book yeah and the what he talks about is like like a dog gnaws on a bone to get all of the tasty meat off of it our diligent attention to the word of god mm-hmm. helps to metabolize the word mm-hmm. to make it a part of our flesh and being so that's a beautiful image maybe not a dog gnawing on a bone but no but it's eating this book yeah, yeah that it yeah. might become a part of who we are yeah, like because when when a dog's down on the bone, it gets down to all the marrow. It gets it gets even past just the meat on the bone, but even deep in yeah. deep into it. So I mean, yeah, that's great. That's, um, another yeah. another two I'm books. Suddenly that... hungry. <laughs> <laughs> well, Alan, go eat the wordle. Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> um, all all we need now are gummy wordles. That's what we need. Gummy wordles. All right. Uh, so um. Two other books, too, that are great in this aspect would be uh, Bob Mulholland's, Robert Mulholland's uh, Shaped by the Word. Um, that is a, it, very much in the line of a Eugene Peterson, how uh, the Word of God is used to form, it, form us. It's not just information, but it's for formation. And um, I, have, I go back to that book all the time. And then um, kind of a more recent book is uh, David Watson's um, the uh, the oh, scripture good. in the life of God. Thank you. That's it. Yeah, scripture in the life of God. Absolutely. Uh, which uh-huh. um, he just makes the distinction between if I make if I get this right the distinction between um, the uh, the Bible and scripture. Like the, he he kind of lays it out that what scripture is and it's more formation based and so um, very very good very good stuff. All right, Alan, I think you've got some right, scriptures um, for us. Yeah, so I've got two passages from Romans. Romans 1, uh, verse 16, Paul's writing at the beginning of his letter. Um, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Um, so again, um, the whole idea that the word of God is, is what brings about salvation, um, convincing and converting sinners. Paul, um, was not afraid to preach in, in, to the Romans and to those in Rome, um, again, both Jew and Gentile, but because he believed in the power that it had to save people. So, um, and I guess the gospel means good news, right? So amen. It's the good news. Um, and I guess we need to kind of maybe interject here a little bit. It is possible to hold the Bible in a in an in in an idolatrous way. Um, it is possible to hold like um, I'll give you an example. This is an extreme example. Mm-hmm. Those are good. I know. I love hyper- <laughs> I like hyperbolic <laughs> examples. Um, I, I remember a, an older person in a church when I was younger. Um, I was a youth minister when I was so, so I was so this I, was about 1920 22 1922 <laughs> okay uh I was about 19 years old 
and um, I had te- I had was teaching some youth, and I read a scripture passage, uh, a scripture passage, and uh, there was not like a table or anything around where I was, so I just took the Bible, I read the passage, and then I just kind of dropped it on the ground. <gasps> yeah, yeah. Uh, so just to kind of and so the whatever to exposit what I had just read. So I just dropped it on the ground. Didn't even think anything of it. Just to kind of lay it down on the ground. And I got chewed out by an older person. You do not do that with that book. There's you got to respect that book. It does not belong on the ground. Now, yes, they were right. I need to respect you need to respect the scriptures and all that kind of stuff. Yes. But it was almost as if I had dropped an idol or something very important in the sense that um God was going to be angry with me for doing that. Like that was going to get me in trouble. It was a sin to do that. Um, and that's just not the case. Um, we, we too often, and I won't say too often, some of us can go to the scriptures as a, where the physical book itself becomes almost like a security blanket or something like that. And that we lose the forest for the trees uh, in not attending to the actual words on the page. Um, am I making any sense here, guys? Or am I yeah, just no, going to have to cut idea, this like, whole It's the idea of out. somebody getting upset with you throwing in the book, but if they're not doing anything that's in the book. Yeah, that's what I'm getting You know, at, yeah. I mean, like, what's important is the practice of it and and yeah. and hearing and receiving and doing, um, yeah. you know, um, that's yeah. right. That's exactly what I'm. I'm yeah, at. and there's and there's a way. Well, for one, with some of my Bibles, I've just they're so precious. If you threw it on the floor and bent a page, that would be a problem with me. But that's just because I like. <laughs> but you my mean all two hundred that are right behind you, Jim? Yeah, no. Just just be quiet. People know I have a Bible collection addiction. If you anybody wants to talk about fine Bible bindings, you come. You just, just set aside about me. a half a day, and he'll he'll yep. get he'll shut get your mouth. That's <laughs> uh, true. Now, no, no, seriously. There's there's a. a <laughs> It's so funny because you, it's like we can't hold up the Bible high enough, but we can place it in the wrong spot in our lives. Ooh. Not that it, it, it's so hard to make this distinction because you could really sound stupid or wrong. I know. Yeah. yeah. But the, um, one of the things you can do is if you utilize the scripture in such a way where you are ultimately using it to your own ends without letting it use you. Mm. Then you've got a bibliolatry problem. Yeah. Um, the other, the other thing, it's almost like just think of the slight distinctions between the Pharisees and the teachings of Jesus. You can't. The Pharisees were not awful people, and my goodness, their motives were as good as they could be. But the way that they ended up utilizing Scripture lifted the law over what the law taught. That's mm. why Jesus would say something like, uh, "You." You you tithe your dill and mint, but you um, you neglect the weightier things like love, justice, and mercy. Yeah. Or why the prophets will say things like, "I detest your festivals and your burnt offerings, which are prescribed in the scripture," um, because you miss it. So the word is it's alive and active. So there can be a, a time where where we l- love the Bible more than God, mm. but. But I, I have recognized, like, I'm fearfully treading and saying that because I also believe that the scriptures are the word of God and primary for our life. So, Amen. Amen. Yeah, Amen. I, th- I think everybody, I think everybody understands what we're trying to say. Yeah. Um, well, in this political environment, I don't want to be tweeted. That's yeah. True, well. Yeah. Well, don't nobody don't don't be tweeting. 
Yeah. Copy tween. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, let me go. let me keep uh, let me keep going yeah. with Romans ten uh, Romans ten verses thirteen through seventeen. Um, Paul writes, "Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved." Um, he's actually quoting scripture there. But um, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Mm. And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Mm. Um, So we get into this whole idea of the Spirit of God uh, making the the reading, but particularly the preaching of the word uh, an effectual means of salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, and while Brett got excited about the whole idea of preaching, mm-hmm. I think at least the way I'm interpreting, I'm going to choose to interpret this. Yes. This means a preacher behind the pulpit, but I also think it means the, the witness and the testimony of everyday Christians talking to yeah. others about Jesus yeah, um, and about the good news. And, um, and so I think it's all of it um, because man, I mean, I think the three of us can testify, man, my preached a heck of a sermon and like, yeah. you know, you, you, you could hear a pin drop, you know, and, and, yeah. and, and, if, but um, so it's both preaching from, from the pulpit, so to speak, but also preaching from, your office chair or, you know, um, sharing the word, um, wherever you go and, um, and so forth. But it is so, but I think the emphasis is on, is on sharing the good news is on, um, not just reading the word, but then, uh, revealing and, and sharing the good news with people around you. So, yeah. You remember when, um, when, uh, I think it's Philip and the eunuch, how, and acts the the Ethiopian the, official, yeah. the Ethiopian official was reading from the book of Isaiah and it really was moving his spirit but but he said something like I need to know what this means yeah and Philip though he wasn't behind a pulpit he was right next to somebody sure yeah. he was proclaiming the proclaiming that same word yeah. to him and so God uses people who proclaim and I think you're absolutely right Alan proclaiming is one form of that is public preaching yeah another form is more maybe like philip and jesus on the emmaus road yeah i was just thinking about the that. scriptures to <laughs> yeah. them yeah and what and what uh my godfather in the faith dean my old teacher would do with me on the way to a school trip or what we hopefully do with our children and what everybody can do to proclaim. Yeah. No, that that's good. That's good. I um, I did lift up the preaching aspect, and I, I agree with all of this. That oh, we are we is... are dogging on you, bro. No, we're not dogging on you. But it came up because um, I read this tweet, right? And I know there's that, a tweet. Already, What's up with the tweet? What's the tweet? But it was coming from I, I forget which whatever account it was coming from. But it, they had mentioned that um, uh. They said, you know, what we understand as the importance of preaching is a very, very kind of modern thing, that in the ancient church, preaching wasn't as important. The Eucharist was, a, was important. And I, was, I wanted to say, the Eucharist was very important, but so was the preaching of the gospel. 
There was a whole movement of the preaching of the gospel throughout the history of the church um, that you can see evidenced in the gospel and in, in the Bible in the New Testament itself, but also in the extra biblical literature coming out of the second, third, fourth century. So uh, there's. We always just like to take our agendas and try to manipulate it to put a good little Bible spin on it and say, this is the way it was. Well, it's not. Preaching has been one of the most important things um, in the church church's tradition from the very beginning. Okay, let me let me pop that. So one, good job getting your money's worth out of your doctorate, because um, uh-huh. there it goes on uh, all mm-hmm. that reading came through for that comment. Yeah, uh, the, I know. <laughs> the other is, so like I've seen that kind of commentary too, and there's two places I think it comes from just two sample paces that I think is good for people who preach as a vocation. One is some of that comes out of the, the resistance to the power differential that a preacher can have. You you, preachers can really, and we've seen it in the world around us. We can get really far too big headed and feel like we're more powerful than we are. And sometimes preach. and, And the fact that you have a captive audience means that you have to be really mindful that you have a lot of power yep. and what you say can um, you can really manipulate. You can hurt if you're not being true to the word. Um, you can put a lot of your own stuff in there. The other, the other place I think it comes from is that sometimes clergy, professional clergy and or preachers can really try to take too much of the church's ministry unto themselves. We Ooh, can take yep. it too much mm-hmm. of it unto ourselves. Yeah. And some of that reaction against preaching comes from recognizing that the laity and the rest of the church deserve and are required ministry, and we should not take it unto ourselves. We should mm-hmm. equip people to do it. Yeah, I agree. That's good. Anyway, we're going to run long because I can't stop talking. No, no, no. This is great. This is great. All right. So I've got I've got two uh, two pieces of scripture for to read as well. The first one is from Psalm one nineteen. Uh, verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Um, the Psalms are replete with great, great imagery of the power of the word. There's even Psalms that are uh, written in such a way to uplift the word of God um, with, uh, like they're written acrostically, you know, uh, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, third letter. They're doing that on a purpose. That's purpose. That's that's work to um, uh, to promote the power of the word itself, of the God's word. And then, um, um, but then there's these beautiful passages like uh, Psalm uh, 119 verses, I think it's like 117 or something like that, 118, that says, um, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Um, so uh, the, the the Psalms, the, the Old Testament is, there, it's, that's all over all over the place there. And then the other passage is from 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17. And this is a famous passage as well, much like that Hebrews 4, 12 passage. And uh, Paul writing to Timothy says, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, all Scripture is breathed out of out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God um, or the person of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So, all Scripture is God breathed. This is um, kind of a classic passage that points to something called 
the inspiration of Scripture. And uh, so what that means, what does it mean, uh, the inspiration of Scripture? And I think this is a good place to talk about that a little bit. Um, what does the inspiration of Scripture mean? Is God's Word infallible? Is it inerrant? Um, how does all that work out in all of this? Is God's Word primary, the primacy of Scripture, um, and how all that works? So uh, my understanding of the ins- doctrine of inspiration of Scripture is that uh, Scripture is inspired um, by God um, through the lives of those who are authoring the different texts that we are reading. So um, we're not talking about God's hand coming out of heaven with some heavenly, you know, fountain pen and writing it down for us, um, but that God is, through the Holy Spirit, is working through the lives of um, those authors from a particular place in life to, um, to share with us God's revelation to them. Yes, Brett, you're correct. It was not a fountain pen. It was an Apple pencil. Oh. So, oh. Thank you. oh. <laughs> okay. If there was to be a heavenly writing utensil, it would yeah. be the Apple I'm just pencil. saying. I'm just saying. It would have been an Apple pencil. <laughs> Apple pencil. Oh. Um, is it the second generation or first? I, I, uh, second. Uh, definitely second yeah. generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But um, the the idea here is the inspiration of Scripture. It's you're you're involving people. People will say, "Well, the Bible was written by humans." Yes, it was. Yes, one hundred percent. The doctrine of inspiration of Scripture does not dispute that. Um, from their situation in life, absolutely. Um, but uh, it is inspired. This is God's revelation. Uh, to us, this is why it's important to understand things like narrative and poetry and um, songs and um, all kinds of different genres because you're t- coming from different points of view um, in the scriptures. And yet, the same spirit inspires all. And the other part of it, yep. too, is that the spirit has preserved and propagated. Ooh, that feels good. Preserved and good propagated yeah. these particular 66 books of the canon of Scripture yeah. through the church over time and yeah. led the people of God to identify what is inspired uh, and what is just otherwise possibly helpful. Yeah, that's good. And, and written over thousands of years, mm-hmm. multiple, multiple authors. Mm-hmm. And how, um, how consistent the Word of God is. Oh, yeah. Now, 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 somebody on the outside is going to find a whole bunch of inconsistencies that they believe are inconsistencies. Yeah. Um, but um, going back to that whole, the Scripture is alive and active. If you're, if you, as you come to faith and you read the Scriptures. You come to a under to a greater and greater understanding of of the word. It is remarkably consistent. Um, Absolutely, over so many years, different authors, because it was the Spirit of God that inspired um, and and helped write those words. So, yeah, absolutely. it's awesome. It is awesome. It is awesome. Um, a great resource, by the way, if you want to kind of see that 40,000-foot view of how Scripture fits together, it's a great resource. And I think we in the church need to really uplift this thing, is the Bible Project. Uh, Bibleproject.com. Um, it's these great um, animated videos of um, uh, Bible book uh, book overviews and themes and 
all that kind of stuff. It's for the whole church. It's ecumenical. It's for the whole church. And um, we're going to put a link in our show notes. Show notes. And, um, and, but uh, it's a great, great resource. And the thing I love about Bible Project is that it takes that 40,000-foot view so you can start seeing patterns. You can start seeing how things are threads and how things are connected. Um, I just got finished with a podcast that they do on the tree of life and how trees thread throughout all of Scripture, all the way from Genesis to Revelation, and how those threads are so very important. Um, so, uh, yeah, check out that resource. Yeah, and one more, um, and this is a really small one you can read in a couple of days, is a book, uh, I think it's by Josh McNall, called Long Story Short. Oh, Long Story Short, Well, yeah. help you to see how the 66 books of the Bible yeah. uh, show one large narrative in through a variety of different lenses. Yeah, yeah so that book, then you can get that book on Seedbed and yeah. the uh, Invitation Study, um, I think, as well, gives you a good yeah. view of... Um, Yes, and that's Brian Russell. And that's Brian Brian Russell, and that's on seedbed.com. So, man, man, there's tons of great stuff for you to really dig into the Word. Yes. So there are two other pieces to this. So we talked about inspiration. Some words that you'll get here thrown around sometimes are inerrant and infallible. What do these words mean, and how do they work? So inerrancy says that there's no error in Scripture. Now, sometimes that can be taken as... um, everything that is said, like, is without error. The way I interpret inerrancy is that the message of Scripture is without error, Um, because what we do know that there are some textual issues throughout Scripture um, that happens, but those textual issues are minor, and they do not overall impact uh, the main uh, meanings of anything. Um, And then infallibility uh, is this idea that um, it's true, it's true. And so, um, and so that again is one of these areas that the overall message of scripture is true. Absolutely. Um, it, it, too many times I think inerrancy and infallibility can be taken for something that I don't think they necessarily mean. Um, uh, we're looking at the overall message of scripture, um, in these ideas. So inspiration, inerrancy, infallibility, um, because one of the things that is powerful is to know, I I love, it's called in biblical scholarship, it's called textual criticism. And it is where you look and you see where there might be like a manuscript from the fourth century and then a manuscript of the same scroll from the 11th century. Um, are there any differences in those scrolls? Are there any differences in the wording? And sometimes there is, but the differences do not necessarily um, change the overall the- overall overarching theological um, issue with this. And most of the time, absolutely confirm it. Most of the time, absolutely confirm it. Um, absolutely. Um, and you also see this... Okay, go ahead. Sorry. No. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm just getting. I'm. I'm. I'm fired up, y'all. So, um, and uh, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Jim and just I were trying first. to have a community. We were secretly trying to communicate while you continued to talk. Oh, okay, yeah, you sorry. just ruined it. So, thank you, everybody. Yes. Now, Brett, continue. Okay, this sorry is about how the sausages made. This is this is it right here. So, anyway, um, and so, but there's also some really cool stuff to, uh, in textual criticism, um, in my opinion. For example, like the ending of Mark, like how it just ends the way it does. Uh, there's some theories about that, about um, uh, you know, after verse eight, that maybe there was a there was an additional part of Mark that got lost somewhere, or maybe the 
Mark, when he was writing the gospel, just decided, hey, we're going to end it, just kind of open-ended. Uh, you see this in Acts. You also see this in the Old Testament in Second Chronicles. It just ends kind of mid-sentence. Um, those are just kind of fun yeah. uh, kind of things to really dig into and ask important theological questions like, why? What's the, kind of, yeah. what's the next with this? Um, so anyway, yeah, so that's just some uh, fun stuff there. Yeah, so I think there's a couple of things. There's a couple of things just to point out. So, like, um, I think we recognize that there are are errors in translations, right? Uh-huh. So, um, uh-huh. there's so many translations out there. Um, you, you do have to be careful about which ones you sort of focus on. Although, different translations can bring out um, different things um, mm-hmm. and highlight different things, but there are human beings that are translating these. Right. Right. And so thank God there are. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, 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 um, I mean, as preachers, we, we will go to several different translations just to see the, the slight differences, um, in them. So, um, but, but there can be errors in translations. Um, and then, um, one little thing I just remember, you know, it's like, um, there are places in scripture so rabbis would have these scrolls, right? And they would have these scrolls, and they would they would write in the margins, as sort of like as you and I would write in our Bibles. Mm-hmm. And and what happens over time is sometimes those comments get get inter, interwoven into the scriptures. It's not it's not good. It's not bad. It's just it's, it's just is, and it doesn't take away from the truth of the scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just one of those fascinating things. It's like you just talk about textual criticism. It's just you can go deep in it and find a lot of neat and fascinating things. Yep. Um, I think that was it. I lost my train of thought, but that was just, it's just fascinating. <laughs> it's just really, it's just really fun to, to, to look at it all and to think about um, and just to really dig into the word. Yeah. So. I'll tell you what, uh, textual criticism and the fact that people are helping us to have Bibles that we can read. Thank God for translators and scholars yes. in the church. Thank God for them. You, you might hear some people say that they're all, you know, why do that? There's a gen- no, these are people who are serving God and serving the people. Um, one of the things that's been amazing to me about his textual criticism and continual striving to help us have the word of the Lord is how consistent and confirming it yes. all has been. Absolutely. Even the finding of the Dead Sea Scrolls yeah. has helped us confirm what has been transmitted. I do want to tell you one thing that inerrancy and infallibility do not mean. Let's say, let's use inerrancy as an example because it means without error. There's a parable, very short one, where Jesus talks about the mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds. What that does not mean is that Jesus, the Bible is full of error because we have found seeds that are smaller than mustard seeds. Amen, amen, yeah. What it means is that we recognize that Jesus is using a genre of literature called parable, and um, it's not making a scientific taxonomical assertion about the size of seeds in the world. Um, and you can take a look at lots of other places like that, too. Another thing that we remember is that when Paul says we are saved by faith and not by works, and where James says faith without works is dead and works are necessary, mm-hmm. we recognize then that you have two authors speaking the words that they have using the same word with its shades of meaning. To, for different purposes, and that if we were to allow the scripture to speak in its context, there is no error or contradiction. Right. So we just want to be careful because some people will say that the Bible is wrong because it says things like the mustard seed is the smallest and it's not, or 
they will push against actual observation and say, no, that must, that seed doesn't exist because the Bible yeah. says yeah. that it's smaller. There's nothing smaller than a mustard seed. You know, I have found um, this uh, new group of atheists that are out. Um, uh, I say it like they weren't ever atheists before them, but this kind of new atheism, um, I guess it's kind of their, um, the, the Richard Dawkins, the God delusion kind of, the, the the children of that piece there, I guess you would say, um, will have as much of a fundamentalist interpretation of Scripture as fundamentalist Christians have of Scripture, where they um, they take they, the words on the page without actually doing the work to interpret that. Um, and so um, the interpretation, the work of interpretation is very, very important. Um, it's biblical, and that, that's been true throughout even Judaism, the work of interpretation has been paramount. Um, and I just want to read to y'all from um, McDonald's notes in the Shorter Catechism. Um, this is uh, just a, a, a little bit here where he um, says that uh, the Spirit makes the Word effectual through faith unto salvation. Bunyan says that the work of sanctification is wrought at the interpreter's house. Ooh. Yeah. Um, this accords with our Savior's prayer, sanctify them in truth, your word is truth, it's John 17, 17. And then there's this whole piece that um, that McDonald quotes Bunyan on, on the, he calls it the bath of sanctification. I'm not going to read all that, but that, that line there, that the work of sanctification is wrought at the interpreter's house. Well, I think, uh, I yeah, think yeah. it goes, um, I think that goes with the, the catechism and... Um, we must attend to the word with diligence, preparation, mm -hmm. and prayer. Mm -hmm. And that the idea of prayer is inviting the Holy Spirit to help us with the interpretation yeah. of Scripture. And so, if you try to if you try to leave out the Holy Spirit in this, then you're gonna get you're gonna get a, a fundamentalist view of it. I mean, like a, a word by word a, um, um, a misinterpret. I mean, you're you're if you don't take it, um, if you don't do those things, then you leave the Holy Spirit out. It's just gonna yeah. Um, yeah. That's, That's right. Just a word. Interpretation is is a beautiful thing. Uh, you'll hear some people say, well, we're just I just go with the word. Uh, yeah. And so does, so do, so do we. Uh, but yeah. the reality True. is you interpret everything, period. Yeah. Everything that ever comes into any one of your senses or your mind, yeah. every one of us simply interprets. Right. And so um, to, to interpret the scriptures in a responsible way um it it will it'll have to happen in your life and your reading in the church's life and the church's reading period mm -hmm. so faithful diligent prayerful and uh, and in community often yes very much uh, so. trying to understand the, the scriptures and say what is what does that mean for me today and for us today yeah and that might and the interpretation may come at a different angle for you when you read the same words today that you do tomorrow or next year the scripture hasn't changed the meaning hasn't changed, right. but the way that it needs to be wrought in your life mm. may be growing and changing because of what God's doing in you. Mm. Gosh, that's such a good word. And that community piece, we need to um, uplift. I, we've just really kind of skipped over it. But the um, you know the, the role of tradition, the role of the history of the church, the great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us in 
you know, help it, interpreting, interpreting, interpreting that we build our interpretations on, on this layers and layers and layers and layers of this is all important work in interpreting faithfully um, what God's Word is trying to tell us in community yeah. with each other. In fact, we're doing that right now because we're talking about this together, but also we're picking up a document from our sisters and brothers from hundreds of years ago yeah. called the Shorter Catechism and Wesley's exactly Revision. That's exactly right, yeah. And we are, we are giving tradition a chance to speak the interpretation of Scripture to us. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, I'm done. All right. Well, uh, let me just—I remember what I was going to say earlier. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I know I forgot it because it has to do with the Book of Discipline, and I rarely ever quote the Book of Discipline. This is um, from the United Methodist Church. Yes, know. United yeah. Methodist Church, Book of Discipline. I, I, I appreciate what it says yeah. about the Word, that it contains everything necessary for salvation, mm. yeah. um, which kind of gets us to, to this catechism, and that—, yeah. that it, the Word of God is the effectual means of salvation, and the hearing of it, uh, the proclaiming of it, um, and that um, we can we can talk about textual criticism and all this other stuff, but at the end of the day, the Word of God has everything that we need for salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we need to read it, and we need to hear it, and we need to proclaim it. So, And amen. that means... Our call to salvation, our justification, all the way up to our complete holiness. Absolutely, and we I haven't really like, touched on that part of the catechism, but yes, I like how in this in this question about how the word is made effectual to salvation, even the Westminster divines are talking about that that full length of salvation. It talks about convincing and converting, building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. Mm-hmm. And so it's got, it, it carries with it, I think, the classic Christian, definitely Westland, understanding that salvation is more than justification and it involves the full conversion of a heart through holiness. Mm. Amen. Well, um, man, I think we, I think that's good stuff. Uh, we could we, talk about the word forever. Yeah, right. Um, so we at the Podakishis podcast, um, we, uh, we like the Bible and <laughs> we, we for Bible, we for it, we, we for it, for the Bible. Uh, we ain't against it. We, we fully, um, we fully endorse we the Bible. It. Hey, I think it'd be great. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to put, uh, on the show notes to, uh, kind of suggested versions and uh, translations, um, because I know I get a lot of questions, and I'm sure you guys do, yeah. um, of, hey, what's a good translation? And um, so we'll put out some of maybe of our favorites, and um, and maybe, and if you have any other questions about that, you could, oh, you could email us at questions at podakesis.com. You could call us at 404-635-6679 and let us know um, what you love about the Bible. Maybe tell us what's your favorite verse is, your favorite story in Scripture, um, and tell us why you love Scripture, and uh, maybe how you're growing in your reading and understanding of Scripture. Um, our next episode, uh, our regu- next regular episode, will be on the sacraments. So we're going to be talking about baptism and communion um, during that time. Uh, as a reminder, uh, the Podakesis podcast is a member of the Spirit and Truth Podcasting Network. Uh, Spirit and Truth is a movement of Wesleyan-minded Christians seeking to awaken and equip 21st century church 
through the power of the Holy Spirit to share the gospel, make disciples, and make disciples of Jesus Christ. We long to see a new movement of Christians who are empowered by the Spirit, rooted in truth, and mobilized for a mission. For more information and resources from Spirit and Truth, Truth, visit spiritandtruth.life. Hit us up on social media, at Podakesis is where you can find us there. And uh, like I said, leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. Call us on our voicemail, email us, let us know uh, what you think of the Word of God. Let us know what you think of this podcast. And until next time, we will talk to you later. Have a great day.